another episode of Crossover Commerce. This is episode 178 of My Corner of the Internet. As the intro stated, this is where I bring on the best and brightest in the Amazon and e-commerce space, and today is no exception. Without being said, we're going to go ahead and kick off just before we get started. We obviously, of course, want to give shout out to our presenters. We are a cross-border payment solution company helping people um, send or receive money more cost-effectively. Uh, putting money back to their margins. What's that? These, uh, when you're sending out money to your supplier, your manufacturer, your VA, or just entities overseas in different currencies. You get your money quicker when you pay in localized currency instead of waiting for banks or other entities to uh, transfer that money over to you. So use a solution that's quick, effective, and going to help you save time, money, and effort. And that's with ping pong payments. You can do that by signing up for free on the link below in the comments section, or if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast destination, that's going to be right there in the show notes, or you can just go to usa.pingpongx.com forward slash podcast. And that's where you can watch this episode when it comes available on audio format with all of the transcripts and all the key takeaways, everything like that. All the previous 177 episodes, including this one will be available there as they become available. Uh, Go ahead and check it out. Uh, we Again, this podcast is really great because we bring on so many different people, not just on Amazon, in different parts of e-commerce, but it's not just in one country. It's all across the world. And that's what's the beauty about podcasting and technology is that we get to discuss on a different capacity of business internationally. And that's what this is all about. As you grow your business, as you grow your brand, it's important to know that there's lots of different moving parts. And going into what we're going to be discussing today as you sell on multiple marketplaces and multiple platform basics and what it's going to take to um, improve your business moving forward, whether it be competing with pricing or competing with uh, another competitor, for example, you want to make sure that you're competitive in multiple different ways, right? Of how your product is packaged, what qualities and what kind of benefits it's coming with it. And then also just in foremost, what is, going to be beneficial to the conditions, but there's solutions out there that helps to make it a little bit easier, of course, like a ping pong, um, that helps businesses keep an eye on those certain major things that help your business grow. And that is Seller Logic. Seller Logic is a partner of ping pong payments, uh, getting that, um, making sure we, we know that, uh, let everyone know that, but there's also different things to know why people are, you know, unfortunately scared of using repricing tools and other solutions out there that, you know, might that have the ability to help you in certain capacities. And we want to debunk those myths today. We want to discuss why it's important to work with uh, solutions that have an eye on all the different marketplaces and solutions that you have available. And believe it or not, because this is live, if you have questions about anything that we're discussing today, you can actually write in your own questions. That's right. In the comment section, if you're watching this on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, or Twitter, you can ask your own questions. Let us know where you're watching from. If you want to just say hi, um, or if you want someone to uh, to kind of build on what we were talking about or have their, that have them clarify a little bit more, we can also do that as well. So that being said, long introduction, now cutting down to, of course, podcasting is great because I get to talk with typically a one-on-one, but this is a special day where we're going to be talking with two different people uh, from Seller Logic. Their name is Monica and Daniel of Seller Logic. Uh, just a quick little uh, little bit introduction for them um, before we get started. Monica is a former Amazon employee with six years of experience in e-commerce and Daniel um, on the legal side after finishing his legal studies. 
He started as a copywriter and now is working with Seller Logic on their content as a content manager for Seller Logic. So different capacities, different parts of the brain. We're going to be talking about with Seller Logic and uh, repricing strategies, and that's why we called today. Um, wait for it, repricing strategy on Amazon. So without further ado, let's go ahead and bring on Monica and Daniel of Seller Logic. Guys, welcome to Crossover Commerce. Hello. Hey Ryan, thanks for having us today. And thanks for the okay. great video. <laughs> well, of course, and that, that's the beauty of doing this live, right? Is you get to yeah. you get to really talk about people. And, and I, I think it's polished enough, but we're, uh, I can only say so many good things about you guys because you guys are both fantastic. You bring so much high level um, to the content that we were talking about pre-show and our previous meetings before this. But for people who are unfortunately not aware of you guys or have heard of Seller Logic or just been graced with your presence uh, um, business-wise or personally, tell us uh, where are you guys talking to us from and where, where are you based out of? Um, yeah, we're actually located in Dusseldorf. That's in Germany. And uh, Daniel and I, we have a pretty international profile. So when it comes to the um, international um strategy for seller logic that's when we come in um on my side it's more on the development of the whole partner network um for the company international wise and also the sales and on yeah exactly side, um, i do more the marketing side and uh, basically what we do at seller logic is we try to think of the question what kind of solutions what kind of software solutions will make an amazon seller's life easier how can he save time and how can he and how can he or she uh, save money uh, on our portfolio? The main uh, the main two solutions right now are the repricing, the repricer, which we'll be talking about today. And we also have a reimbursement uh, software called uh, Lost and Found, which we can also cut upon today if we still have time left. But actually, we'd like to focus more on the repricing today as, you know, as it's the title and everything. And uh, um, yeah. I, I think another interesting uh, thing that we could highlight about Seller Logic is that both tools were developed by uh, an ex-Amazon oh. seller, our CEO, Igor Vanapolsky. He used to be an Amazon seller, and he actually developed these two solutions with the, the thought of, okay, this is what I'm struggling with. I mean, these tools existed already, but he gave it that twist of, okay, how can I make mm -hmm. it... Um, Improve. Not better, yeah, yeah. Improve it a yeah. little bit, or how can I personalize it more to the Amazon seller's needs? So that I it feeds say. the needs, yeah. So that it feeds yeah. the needs of my company. So the thing is, this company was already created with a problem that uh, with a problem that it could solve. So basically, it was not just a company created, just some software that was built. Okay, so now let's try to solve some problems. But the problem was already there, and they built the solution around it. So yeah, just as a little right. bit of background info, maybe to mm -hmm. to sell the logic and uh, what kind of vision we pursue. Yeah. Well, before we get yeah, before we get into that, I'm curious for both of you. Uh, Monica, you said you worked at Amazon. Have either of you both either of you sold on Amazon, or you just worked specifically for Amazon? No, actually, my Amazon experience it was um, yeah, it was with Amazon itself, but it was with Abooks, which is an an Amazon marketplace um, that is specializes in the sale of books. You know, Amazon was born right. with the whole selling of started out with books. Yeah, it started with books. So yeah, that's um, how I got to introducing the whole Amazon ecosystem because I was not only acquiring sellers, but I was also assisting them with their inventory on the platform. And this is when I started getting familiar once again with the Amazon ecosystem and everything that has to do with repricing and the buy books, even though in that 
sector. Um, it's not really needed because they have this um, fixed price by the editors. I mean, there is repricing, but not much because the margins are very low uh, if the books are used. But yeah, that's kind of my story, how I began uh, getting familiar with the whole um, repricing strategies on Amazon. Absolutely. Well, thank you for that background. And, I, and I'm curious. So what brought you either or both of you to Seller Logic? So obviously, every road is windy. Um, I hear lots of people who step away from Amazon, they go to um, businesses, whether they find their passion or they find the opportunity. Is there what, what led you guys both to work for Seller Logic, if you don't mind me asking? Well, I can start on my side. It was really simple. I already started working with the Amazon environment. I enjoyed it. I, I saw that there was a lot of, I would say, it's a wonderful experience, a venture for the sellers, but they know more than me that there's a lot of struggles and pain points. And I'm a very oriented on problem, problem solving. So that's why I wanted to continue to pursue uh, getting more familiar with um, the Amazon ecosystem, but from another um from another side, and that's how I arrived in Seller Logic. Um, as for me, I mean, you already mentioned it a little bit in your intro. I've always been, I've always looked like for new challenges. As I said, yeah, I studied, I studied law. Afterwards, I worked at a law firm, but then after, I kind of found like I wanted to go into more creative direction. That's why I got into the startup seat in Cologne. So I've been in, in the SaaS area for a couple of years now. In the Amazon bubble, I'll be honest. I've only, how long have I been here? For a year or so. I've only yeah. been, yeah, I've only been here for for a year. So, um, but the thing is, like after I was in the, I always like to take uh, little, well, um, little parts of the the jobs that I really liked and like, and then try something new again. So this was just kind of like a new step, an opportunity that opened up. They said, yes, this is kind of. We're still a young company. We have very flat hierarchies, but we have this product and we're trying to sell this. And I was like, you know what? Sounds interesting. You know, I might have never, the thing is to your previous question, like I myself, I've never sold a thing, a single thing on Amazon, right? And people would yeah. ask me, yeah, but, but don't you write, but don't you write stuff about that? I'm like, but precisely, but that's the, that's the reason like the sellers, the, the, the time that they don't have is to actually, you know, go into the forums and look for niche products or, you know, get uh, take the time to really know a tool inside out. That's the time I, that's the time I have. That's what I have. Eight hours a day. That's exactly what I do. So I can kind of bring something, a new perspective to their seller lives that they don't have the time to acquire. It. And that's kind of the, you know, that's the kind of, um, yeah, that's the plus point that I try to bring. Yeah, absolutely. I, 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 uh, I see a lot of myself in, in those capacities too, as well. Right. Uh, when you're not busy growing your business or entrepreneurship, right. You have a lot of more time to do more research, to do, to have discussions, uh, amongst other either service providers, industry professionals, or experts outside or inside of the space. And that really helps paint a picture that's different than you being in the weeds, working on your singular brand or brands or growing that capacity. Again, different mindsets, um, neither are wrong. They're just, they're spent, however you spend the time equity that you have every single day can be applied to different aspects of either education or uh, working on your own business. So of course that, that, thank you for that background. So I, I'm, I'm curious. So let's start from the beginning repricing strategy. When I, when I say that and the seller is listening to this, they think repricing, I'm changing around my, the cost of my product being sold on Amazon, right. Or being sold on a marketplace. A lot of people might think, oh, that's, that's great in theory, but Amazon doesn't like it when there's fluctuations all over the place, right? You want to have a consistent nature of 
hey, this is the lowest price possible across the board. If it if it's higher than other entities outside of Amazon, it's they're not going to look favorably on myself. So why would I even want to consider repricing? First and foremost, what is repricing in the eyes of you guys? And then how do you combat that initial maybe scare, scare, uh, you know, mentality of maybe I shouldn't have to play around with my pricing model mm -hmm. in that regards? Would you like to? I'll get started. Well, yeah. Um, yeah, I think we should maybe begin with um, maybe how does it work and then link it to why are they afraid of? The yeah, let's let's start with that. Let's start with the basics. How does repricing work? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So do you want to start with? I mean, I mean, I could say that um, sellers. I, I frequently I do sell, so I frequently use a, a talk to the sellers. And the first thing when they hear repricing, it's they really quickly jump into the conclusion that it's all about the buy box or it's sure. all about lowering the prices as there are no more strategies in there. And their biggest fear comes when it, it's about time, you know, how much time is this going to require me to install, to configure the whole repricing strategy or the tool. And then there's like different levels, right? There is a time there on the other hand, they're talking, they're also afraid, like you were saying, you know, about Amazon, uh, been always uh, on the loop of what are the prices? Are they competitive on the platform? Are they too high? Are they too low? Are they competing with myself? Um, so they're very concerned about how would Amazon would act regarding how uh, they're changing the prices, but also on a client perspective. They're afraid that, for example, a client realizes that a product they were looking at uh, during lunchtime, it has changed prices when they have come back uh, home from work, you see, and that if that person actually buys the product and gives a bad review, that will give them a bad image because they're changing prices too much. So, yeah, there's a time fear. There is the client and Amazon concern. What are they going to think? And then there's also the lose of control. They think they're going to lose the control of their margins. As you mentioned earlier, um, it's really important for sellers to keep track of their margins. And I understand that they need to have a control on their margins to, 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 to create revenue, to uh, increase profits. Um, so I would say that, yeah, the, the, the main fear that they have is time, clients, Amazon, and losing the, the, the margin control. But usually when I speak to them and I, what, what I try to guide them through, is that it's okay, you know, to increase and to lower your prices. Um, it's really not not a tendency anymore, neither on Amazon or anywhere else, to have always the same prices uh, on your products. One, because of competition, and two, because even clients, don't be afraid of it, because uh, clients sometimes they're not really looking into the price only. It's also the, the, the shipping delay, hmm? or they're very brand-oriented. You know, if they like your brand, they don't they don't care how much money they have to invest on it if the product is good. And another important fact that we need to take into account when it comes to Amazon is that prices, they change. I, I remember seeing an article about it, like 2.5 million right. times right. per, per day. Well, it was per day. Per day. Yeah, 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 yeah. So every 10 minutes, uh, minutes uh, prices are changing. So imagine if you have... I don't know, 1,000, 5,000 
uh, SKU inventory. And you have to do that manually. Not only you're losing time, but you're taking the risk of making a mistake. And mm -hmm. mistakes here could be very, it could have a very negative impact on your brand image, on your profits. So while using a repricing strategy or repricing tool, the machine will actually do it for you. It does require a minimal work and an investment from the, from the seller because he has to establish the minimum and maximum price because he needs to know in what range of prices he can work with. And he can also track his competitors' uh, prices in order to establish that range of prices. Okay. So I think that's really, really an important uh, detail to take into consideration. Or how does the repricing work or why shouldn't we be afraid of? I mean, at the end of the day, we want to stay competitive on the Amazon uh, marketplace. It's, it's a must, regardless of if you use a repricer tool or you do it manually. You need to do repricing and you shouldn't be afraid of it. Gotcha. So the, the reasons why you would reprice your product would be those external factors, right? To be competitive with other competition to uh, because of shipping delays or any other external cost prohibitive measure outside that, that you need to increase or your good cost of goods go up. So you have to increase cost. Um, what other things that are there that sellers might need to do and to encompass or think about when it comes to repricing their products? Is it, is it, how often they're doing it or how like what, what are what are those other factors that might need to be thought about before yeah. changing your price i can actually take this one if that's yeah sure. okay sure um well there's a couple of factors that you can also take into account for example what kind of uh, repricing method or uh, will you apply well for one um maybe just to like sum up what we the last question like basically repricing is nothing else than price optimization. How uh, how can I fit my price so that I can make the most revenue, right? And there's several forms, uh, there's several ways how you can do that. You can do it over uh, manual repricing, there's static repricing and dynamic repricing, depending on how big your store is or what kind of store um, you have, either, either, um, either variant may be the most suitable for you. Let's say, for example, the manual repricing. Manual repricing is basically completely old school, no software, no nothing. Um, you, you, you retain full control over, over, um, what you do over your pricing strategy. There are no costs because of course you don't have the software that you have to pay, but then also depending on how many SKUs you have, it might take a lot of time to do that. And then the question is, does the time that you have to invest to do all that manual repricing actually compensate or recompensate, um, for the, you know, for the cost that you don't have to spend on the software. So if you have, if you're a company with, I don't know, if you're only selling like a couple of items on Amazon, we're not going to be, we're not going to be the people who say, Hey, listen, you know, you're selling 10 articles on Amazon and you're changing your prices 10 times a day. Maybe you, you should, you should think about automating that process. We're not going to do that. We're going to think, okay, maybe in this specific situation, manual repricing is the right thing for you. Um, static repricing is, uh, basically, this is where the automation comes in, right? Uh, you have, uh, you have an you have a, an automated software that, as Monica already said, you have a minimum and max price. Uh, you have a lot of SKUs. You don't have the time yourself to basically do this every day manually because you have, of course, you have other things on your plate. Of course, the final price is the most important thing to take care of um, if you want to if you want to get the buy box. But there's also twelve other metrics that you have to that you have to keep in mind, and that, of course, will take up a lot of your time. And if you got your prices set, if you have a software that does that for you, you have your your head free. For other things for your 12 other metrics or you know for just watching netflix or whatever um it's um 
Static repricing is, of course, then the answer for you. However, the thing with static repricing is that's why it's called static. There's only one algorithm behind it, and that's set the price lower than your competition. And if that's the only algorithm you have, then at the end of the day, what's going to happen? You're going to have price dumping, right? And you just if, if that's the only solution you have, if, if, if your only tool is a hammer, every problem you see is a nail, right? So the thing is the prices will keep on going down and they won't keep on going up. At the end of the day, with static repricing, uh, what will happen is that there is only going to be one winner and that's going to be the buyer and the platform on which you sell but it's not going to be the sell yeah know? if i can add something to what mm -hmm. daniel is saying because um when i speak to sellers often when they they are beginning their adventure of selling an amazon they start using the amazon repriser which actually works with that rule with that mm -hmm. strategy that daniel is is talking about and Coming back to the to what we we're saying before, why sellers are so afraid of using repricers is because most of the time either they start doing it manually, the repricing strategy, or they start using this repricer, which is good to begin with when, when you're starting to sell on Amazon. But when you start having more and more inventory, you know, it, it gets tricky. And I think we also need to keep in mind that Amazon developed that free Amazon repricer not also thinking about the seller, but like Jeff Bezos always say, uh, think backwards from the client perspective. So it's really to 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 optimize the the, the buying experience for the buyers for the clients. Yeah. So uh, it's really focused, from my opinion or from what I have heard from sellers, on this the buyer experience, on the buyers, not on the seller. Yeah. So at a certain point, yeah. it's they need to evaluate when it's their good time to switch to dynamic repricing. Yeah, right. More, yeah. more, more to emphasize on that, it would be more optimized on price where it's best of web pricing. There's no thing that's going to beat it in that regards. Is that what you're mentioning, Monica? Sorry, when using that. So when you when you use the Amazon tool, it's going to mm -hmm. always it's always going to push the price to the point where it's the lowest on the web. That That's what its job is there to do. Is that what you're saying? It's There's no other real solution that it's there to do other than make sure that you're offered at the best, best price possible. If it's your competitors or anything like that, yours is going to be the best of web or the lowest possible. On exactly, with the lowest. And that's why, I mean, it's not bad because if you think about it, when you have a new product and you're launching it on Amazon or when you are starting to sell on Amazon, I think it's a good tool to use in the sense that, okay, you can use an aggressive strategy, lowering the prices to give, I mean, to increase sales really quick and to give more visibility to your product. But when time runs and your product is already known and you know your competition, or more competition is coming in, this is when a dynamic uh, repricing is fits better, I would say. Gotcha. So when there's Once more more factors at play, yeah. And, and you can do it manually or you don't, you're not trying to be best of web, you need to utilize a solution like this. Interesting. Okay, so as a seller, and I'm gonna put myself in the seller's shoes, I'm working through this, I have a hundred SKUs, I'm working with myself, I can't keep, you know, they range anywhere from, you know, 599 all the way up to a hundred dollars, like you said, there's competitions and different capacities um, on different types of marketplaces. Is this something that it's going to affect different currencies and different uh, marketplaces? Or like, for example, is this price going to be different on Amazon.com versus Amazon um, DE or uh, UK or any any of those marketplaces? That, 
for example, seller logic looks at all encompassing marketplaces and is going to be fluctuating no matter what marketplace or country you're selling, correct? Yeah, definitely. I wouldn't only even take um, the currency uh, aspect, but also the demand on each market might be different for that product. So that's also something that they can take into account and maybe not apply, for example, a buy box strategy, but other strategies that are more adapted to that um, to that market. I think that's also something that, that is important when uh, sellers are looking for a repricing tool. What strategies is this repricing tool offering me, uh, especially if they're working international and with different markets? Gotcha. What what um what are the benefits besides besides the the cost factor and you you saving money on this on the buyer side? If a buyer's trying to get the best price out there, what are the benefits that people don't talk about when using a repricing strategy with a tool like you guys? Is it is it just to optimize competitiveness when um when people are still buying no matter what the price is? Uh, for example, hey, the velocity at which your selling isn't going to decrease if you increase a dollar or 50 cents or $2 or even more. Is it going to look at that velocity at which people are buying your product online and tweak it up a little bit more to find that sweet spot? Or what, what, what is the yeah. optimization techniques in terms of finding the quote right price to sell it on Amazon on a day-to-day -day basis? Exactly. That's exactly you. Um, you said that correctly. The dynamic pricing tool basically works like the static repricer only with the with a little difference that after, um, of course, it goes down with the price. It finds the most competitive price. It wins you the buy box. And afterwards, of course, it looks at, OK, we don't want to sell at the lowest price. Of course, we want to have um, the highest margins possible. We want to sell at the best price possible. So that's exactly when that little tweak that you just mentioned it comes in. And we the tweak just goes as far as uh, there's a signal sent to Amazon. Hey, if I just Pull up the price by, let's say, I don't know, 50 cents. Will I still be in the buy box? And if it gets a signal back, yes, goes up with the price. And it goes up up to that point where it says, okay, if you go up any higher, you lose the buy box and you lose sale, you lose, you lose revenue. And that's when it stops. That's when it stops going. So the big difference is that um, you don't sell at the lowest price, but you sell at the best price possible. So that's the main that's the main difference between the dynamic and the static. Gotcha. What, when, when people think about buy box, is there, obviously, that that's kind of the holy grail if you will to get in there yeah, for, for a seller right a couple yeah. of times my blog as well actually <laughs> well i was gonna say it, it's very important to get into there and once once you have the ability to be a seller in the buy box becomes really becomes a lot easier to win that that purchase if you will is price again myth or fact is it is price the only factor to consider when amazon is looking at all the available sellers for that one product is price the number one consideration they're looking at or what are the other maybe externalized factors as well that they might consider? Is it how it's being fulfilled? Is it longevity of being on a platform? What are all those things that take into account when putting that seller into the buy box? Yeah, I think, I think we don't have a, a, a number one factor, but they all complement each other. And I would say that among those criteria that you need to qualify for the buy box, the price is definitely one of the most important ones. But there are other uh, aspects to take into account, such as the shipping uh, time. I mean, if you're an FBA uh, seller or if you have the prime tag, you're FBM, but you have the prime tag, of course, you're running already in the course with an advantage. Um, 
there's also the reviews that you might have on that product. The seller, seller rating, seller rating yeah. is very yeah. important as well. Yeah. So. But even apart from that, I don't know. I've seen, I've seen, as I said, we've spent a lot of time on forums and we've seen the buy box taken away for apparently no reason at all. You know, maybe it's just, uh, I don't know, maybe this person had a stellar review, but then mm -hmm. one bad review comes in and it's kind of Amazon dinging a person away. For, but um, yeah, in general, I would definitely go with what Monica says. The I would actually say that price is one of the main factors, but it's definitely not a factor. It's definitely not, not the sole factor. Definitely not. And of course, if you're going to have a competitive price, but your shipping is disastrous or your customer support is uh, really bad. Of course, you're not going to win the buy box with that either. So it's kind of like a conglomerate, um, yeah. In order to achieve the so-called holy grail of Amazon, yeah. But uh, <laughs> well, it's interesting too because now Amazon's becoming even more transparent. I'm not sure if you guys saw on the desktop version, Amazon's mm -hmm. making it. It used to be very faux pas, right? Of how you were getting a product, whether it be from Amazon itself. Everyone, if you're outside of the industry, thinks. Amazon's selling me the product, therefore it's Amazon's product, they own it. It's not yeah. the case. If it's bought and sold by Amazon, fulfilled by Amazon, of course. Coming from Amazon is actually being sold by Amazon from them buying the, the goods or anything like that, and that's for a different story. But when it comes to a third-party seller, they're now making it more apparent of on desktop versions, as well as I believe mobile has rolled out, they're saying how it's being shipped from and it has even a, a graphic or icon in it, who's selling it. And you can actually see the seller, the storefront, a lot more apparent in that regards too. Has okay. that had any effect on your team or what, what do you think Amazon's doing in that regards? Um, trying to make it more forthcoming to buyers. Is it to be more transparent of, Hey, this is another outside entity that's selling this product or is that just something that they're just tweaking around with the UI? What, what, what do you think the, the play is there for making more apparent of where it's coming from and who's selling it. I think, uh, I think what you, I, I would definitely join in with what you said. Of course, I think it's also a part transparency, but of course also part that, um, yeah, they're trying to, they're trying to signalize, okay, these are, these are also third party sellers to kind of get rid of that myth. Hey, if you buy from Amazon, you definitely buy from Amazon. No, you're not only, you're not only supporting the big uh, multinational conglomerate, but you're also supporting the mom and pop shop who happen to sell over Amazon as well. And that is a great thing. And then if you make it clear to people and you'd be like, you think, okay, of course, Amazon is, it's, it's super comfortable to buy from Amazon. The shipping is safe. Uh, the reimbursement claims are safe. Uh, but, you know, I don't feel, I don't know, do I really want to give my money to a company that is so huge? But if they make it transparent that you're not actually giving the money to them, but actually they're just the carrier or the delivery service, that's a nice tone to set. And that's also, they're also, I think what they also had the sellers in mind at that point as well, because it makes, it's, uh, it gives, uh, yeah. It uh, definitely gives a buyer a better, a, a different sort of intention. You know? So yeah, that's my, that's my two cents on the matter. I don't know. Well, it, yeah, it, it makes it just more apparent. And I think it's demystifying the notion, like you said, Daniel, if, if it's going to be coming straight through from Amazon, um, yeah. let's look at, let's look at seasonality. I'm, I'm curious right now as, as Q4 is, we're in the midst of it. If you're listening to this, we're November, let's look at the 10th. Uh, pretty much across the board. We're still November 10th for you guys. That's November 10th here in the United States as, as people are waking up um, across the country. I'm looking at this and there, there's so many different factors at play. Um, people are in retailers are advertising earlier. They're telling people to buy their goods earlier um, because of sourcing logistics problems um, and just the possibility of running out of inventory for a specific good or item, anything along those lines. 
for repricing strategies, how this would make it more apparent to need something in this regards with a software that's looking at data every single day instead of me as a seller guessing on a day-to-day -day basis, how can I either optimize my price, whether raising it or lowering it? Is this a time of year where you see lots of sellers drop their price or is it actually stay consistent or even maybe just surprising people a lot across the board that with the data you're seeing raise their prices because the buyer intent is more heavily happening now more than it would be in the middle of the summer. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think on a general basis, what we have experienced, at least on my side, I would say that they start preparing themselves with this kind of uh, strategy or tools, um, taking aside everything that is going on with the supply chain and um, Black Friday at the moment or these key dates. I think they always start preparing for Q4, I would say in the summer, late August, we start experiencing already some more demands on information. How does it work? How can I apply it? So, um, mm. yeah, I would say that it's not really yeah. to the context that we're on, but on a general basis, no matter what, mm. always for Q4, they, they they try to kind of boost the, the, the price strategy that they have. Yeah. Yeah, what we can see also, yeah, what we can see also is that, uh, and I think this is not only the case for our for our clients, but generally sellers on Amazon that they kind of try to also emulate what Amazon is doing. For example, that it's not just a Black Friday sale, but that the kind has already started in November, which of course also had to do a lot with uh, with the stock and uh, you know with um, yeah freeing up the stock and everything. And they try to emulate it, so they drop the prices as well. But what we can see is specifically is that people, especially around uh, Christmas and after or before Christmas. And around these big sales days, that not a lot of people get a reprice because or, or 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 cancel their subscription because they're just too busy with actually selling stuff. You know what I mean? So that so that's also like um, yeah. It's, I don't I don't think really that there's a lot of thought about uh, how can, they can improve. What, what depending on what solution can I use now? That actually happens in the in the uh, in the times when there is not a lot going on. You know, when they think how can we optimize already existing processes? Because yeah. when the processes are going, they're just selling as much as possible, I guess, yeah. Or another frequent ask, uh, um, a question that they ask often, it's if I'm doing deals at the moment for Black Friday, Cyber Monday, or if I'm uh, launching deals with vouchers, etc. how is the repricer going to work with it? Is it mm -hmm. going to, mm -hmm. it's going to create a conflict. Mm -hmm. So I would say that, yeah, this time of the year, like I said, they anticipate on August already, maybe September, depending on the sector too, they're very, mm -hmm. If they're seasonal, um, they have the tendency more maybe to 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 do it or not. But I would say it's more after Christmas. Mm -hmm. It's kind mm -hmm. of yeah. after that whole uh, shopping fever is over <laughs> and people have no yeah. more money. They're like, okay, let me do something about it for to begin the year and to boost the sales to start a good year. Yeah. Uh, let me implement uh, such strategy or such solution. Um, so to be more pointy, I guess, uh, to clarify, I'm curious too. Are you seeing sellers? Is the strategy obviously with the with the help of your tool that you built out? Are sellers actually increasing their prices during Q4, or do you see it more to keep the same or dropping? Is there I any mean, data to back that up? Um, I could maybe generally speaking, no, we don't have any data that we could show or or I have seen myself. But we need to take into account that. Within our solution, there are different strategies, not only the buy books, 
There's, for example, the push and daily push strategies, which are strategies that are based on the number of orders that they're receiving, mm -hmm. uh, or the demand or the revenue. And based on that demand, I mean, if I was a seller, yeah, I would increase the price. But then again, it depends on the situation, the scenario yeah. that each seller has for, for their products. Uh, but yeah, with these strategies, based on the demand of your product, you can increase the price. It would recognize it and in, they would establish a range of products. And based on that demand, they would uh, optimize um, the price. So there's rules in place where if you get a certain threshold, it would increase it just to kind of either slow or slow down or to still optimize in that regards you're saying um exactly the sales yes. so like if i'm getting 100 a day i only have 500 left in inventory and i don't have any on the way it's going to raise the price so that it would in theory drop the sales down to 50 a day or 25 a day so we try to hit that sweet spots until you get more inventory in there, correct? exactly that could be a scenario a possible scenario so if we take into account the key dates that we are experiencing right now, Cyber Monday, Singles Day, yeah. Black Friday. And Singles Day, which is now uh, 10 days long or 11 days long. Right? <laughs> so it's, right. it, yeah. it, beat, it beat out Prime Day, which is now two days, uh, Singles Day, which is a week plus of of the deals and whatnot. So I understandably so. So yeah, I, I'd be curious. I would, I, maybe uh, that'd be a good uh, data set to pull from uh, in Q4 for next year or for this year to see if actually more people were increasing prices or if they were actually keeping them the same or decreasing their yeah. their traditional pricing because a lot of people a lot of what i'm hearing and again from from a seller's perspective as as sellers run into the issue with inventory they're they're consistently trying to not run out of inventory that's the number one key that you hear from people i run out of inventory game is over because you would have to put in more inventory to, or more cost to ranking re-ranking your product amazon's going to look unfavorably to you because you ran out of inventory you never want to you never want to run out that's rule number one and how you how you manipulate that system whether it be to you know again raise the price so that people are buying less of it you're spending less on ppc there, there's lots of different factors but a lot of people are actually making sure that they can last through q4 so their inventory does land Therefore, they can, you know, not run out. If running out would be nightmare scenario number one. So I'm curious what the data would show if there's actually more people increasing their prices on a than a traditional year versus this mm -hmm. year in itself. So be, it'd be curious. I guess, I guess that's a, a constant idea for you, uh, Daniel, to see yeah. at the end of the year. But um, we did have, <laughs> look, at that, look at me, we're, we're coming up with uh, marketing ideas for each other. I'm curious with the data. Um, we actually, like I mentioned before on the podcast, if you're listening or joining us live, uh, we have Monica and Daniel of Seller Logic in Dusseldorf, Germany, um, joining me here in uh, lonely Indianapolis, Indiana, in the middle of the United States. Um, but the beautifulness of this is uh, this format is we get to ask questions um, and have our audience ask questions into us. We actually had one that come up came up from Jennifer. Uh, Jennifer actually asked for both of you. Um, let me drop this down real quick. Is it really possible to increase the price after a seller wins a buy box? Would it, wouldn't the seller be able to immediately be replaced by a competitor if the price is higher? Great question, Jennifer. Thank you for asking it on LinkedIn. Okay. Um, that's a really good question. Super interesting. But And yeah, normally you would think that the, the seller would immediately be replaced by someone with a more competitive price. But as we already discussed, you know, the price may be a relative, uh, a relevant factor 
maybe the most relevant, but not the only factor. So it might be that uh, the other the other seller doesn't have I don't know as good customer support or is not a part of Amazon is not using Amazon FBA, which you are, which then would basically allow you that even uh, even though the other seller has a more competitive price, would still make you the person to be uh, the most um, the most viable to win the buy box because you still all in all taking all 12 metrics into account, you still offer the buyer a better deal, a better all round experience. So yeah, at the end of the day, it is still possible. Yeah. Very cool. Awesome. And if anyone else, and Jennifer, if that answered your question, if you have another one, feel free to send that in the comment section. Uh, it's always good to, to start the trend and then multiple people yeah. end up asking questions. So uh, Jennifer, great question. That, that, was, that was something I was actually thinking too of once you're in the buy box, how, do a lot of people and maybe demystify this for me, Daniel and Monica, what do people, what are people's tendencies when they're in the buy box and they own the buy box right now? Is it they think that they can lose it if they change their price or is that, is that a consistent um, factor that you're hearing from lots of customers or sellers is, Hey, I, I have the buy box right now. I'm afraid to change anything because that might, might kick me out of the buy box. Um, is that something you hear consistently or what are some other things that you hear? as a as a maybe a myth that that we can demystify today um i would Anything say that come to mind <laughs> i mean what i often hear from from sellers it's when they have a very strong competition they're scared to to lose the buy box somehow if they they go below the price or above the price of the competitor um, mm. um I would say that's that's the main con concern that they have. Who is the competitor that they have in the buy box? Yeah. Um, well, of course, like yeah, from the experience I can draw from, uh, of course, if you if you're in those forums, you always see people complaining, "Why did I lose the buy box?" So, of course, I would that would suggest I possibly think that everybody's scared of losing the buy box. But but the ones that are in the buy box are not going to be writing on any blogs or any forums. So I'm not really sure. But I think that what Monica is saying, there is a big fear of once you have. The buy box and of course you want to keep it as long as possible because that's bringing in you is bringing in your revenue is that you're then afraid to um to go higher with your price because naturally you think like that's uh yeah as it was jennifer right as jennifer just said hey is it even possible to keep the buy box if i'm not the one with the most competitive then of course you would never think of hey i'm just going to stay with my price right now even though you could be making more money um and that that's i think that's a, that's a fear that um i can imagine a lot of sellers have that they think okay now if i have the bad i'm just gonna i'm just gonna play it safe and i'm just gonna stay with the price i have right now not try anything too risky um and just ride out the buy box as long as i can and all the while exactly they're losing the money it might not be a lot it might be a lot i you won't really know because of course right yeah but so some of them they really don't like that because you, they mm -hmm. really lose margins just by fighting for the buy box they don't they really hate going into the the price wars they always tell me yeah. i don't want to go into a price war yeah. uh with my competitors i know that in one of the strategies that we have in our solution they can actually for example include or exclude the competitors they want to compete with that way they can stay with a competitive price uh in the buy box so so that could be an option so nobody gets kicked out or they start losing margins in the buy box Awesome. And look, well, Jennifer started the trend and we have a couple more questions coming in. So for people who are listening on the podcast, uh, let me go ahead and bring up a question. I'm sure it actually came in from YouTube uh, from Raina and Raina asked, we have increased price for our product, but our organic sales dropped drastically. We are getting sales from PPC now, but more than 50%. What do we do now? 
that's, that's a great question, Raina, and thanks for asking on YouTube. Uh -huh. Either of you have a, have an idea? I think this this seems without knowing all the official details of what category, what product you're. Yeah, like that's that. the thing. we don't know what kind of product it is. This is a really good question. What I would suggest. Can you submit the question to us? Because this is something we can look into it with our customer success management team who might have more experience, I would say, with the verticals of different products. Also, we have partners that deal with uh, PPC campaigns. Like I see different elements here that uh, are combining the question, which is really good. So we'll make sure we make sure at the end of the podcast, Raina, that you can contact either Monica or Daniel and find the customer and get in touch with the customer success team and make sure that um, we, we can get an answer one way or another, because that is a great question. I think uh, once you increase the price, organic sales drop, which is interesting, um, if that was the only thing that changed and what effective, what yeah. effective nature that had to deal with um, organic sales. So interesting question. Um, actually, Jennifer came back with another question um, for the first answer um, on LinkedIn. She had asked, do you have a number, some numbers from the experience with clients about how much price increase is possible? So adding on to our initial question of how much is it, how much is relevancy in terms of how much you can increase the price in the buy box without having, upsetting the, the gods of Amazon as buy box. <laughs> basically <laughs> uh, we can't give out any uh, specific numbers of course um i mean i'm, a, I'm assuming that would depend right it would would that be a another generalized a, question depends uh, on the product no, it's a very good question the thing is that it's very general it, it really it's, i mean what i could say how i can answer to this it, it really depends on the kind of product that you're selling how many competitors you, do you have even what kind of seller are you are you a brand are you uh, dropshipper, uh, you're a wholesaler. Um, otherwise, if she, if you want information, Jennifer, about maybe the percentage of how much percentage you can increase on the buy box or some numbers, uh, we have some success stories from our clients on our website. Uh, maybe you can look into the ones of the repricer. There we have some some numbers because we have been authorized to 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 talk about by the client. Mm -hmm. uh, who we're doing the success story on. Yeah. We also have to be really, uh, we have to be really careful with giving away data of any sort here in Germany because they're really strict about it. So. GDPR in Germany. <laughs> yeah, so we don't want to tread too far in any way. But yeah, also, but uh, Jennifer, I mean, if, you, uh, if you're like really interested in uh, trying it out yourself, you can use our repricer two weeks for free, uh, no strings attached at all. You don't even have to cancel it or anything and just see for yourself what it would be in your specific case. As, right. yeah, as, yeah, as, Mon as, as Monica said, of course, uh, we could, yeah, as as we don't know what kind of uh, how many SKUs you have or how much revenue you're making, of course we couldn't we couldn't really place it or make an estimate here. But yeah, like there's not a right answer I would say or or a measurable tangible answer. It really depends once again on many different factors. Sure. Um, <clears throat> yeah, like all good answers, it depends. <laughs> like we we come across this, and, and this is not and this is not for for people who are watching and listening to this. This is not uncommon. The beauty of Amazon is every every person, every brand is truly unique. In the situation itself, you have to have many data points to understand the background of which, you know, what the history was, and then how you plan to move forward. And that that kind of helps paint the picture for either a guest or for any sort of service or tool or um, expert, if you will, um, in the space to help you get a better, clear answer. 
It really does depend. And I think what a lot of people, my question, again, they're pretty simple of how often you can change your price, because I wouldn't think on a day-to-day basis that you can just change it every hour or anything like that. Are there simplistic things that you guys have to tell clients all the time of, Hey, it really just depends. Or is there just a, a playbook that it's Amazon only likes it when you change it maybe once a day or once an hour, is there, is there na- natures of that, that we can go a little bit more broad in that capacity? Or do you really see clients that are changing it as often as every 30 minutes, an hour? Is there anything that crazy? Definitely. I mean, yes. as, as money. <laughs> yes, there's really. crazy um, things. Yeah. I mean, if you take into, if you remember what I said earlier during our conversation that Amazon itself is, I mean, the algorithms internally, they're changing and prices are being changed 2.5 million times a day. Times a day. I always, I'm like, is, it a day? <laughs> is, that, is that really that high? That number? I always is it that really that yeah. high? Yeah, yeah, but it's. Um... It's true. I mean, it's not like there's drastic changes. It's not like the prices change, like as that the prices drop by you know five dollars every hour. Maybe it's just a, a couple of cents. It depends on the time of the day. Um, of course, there are different uh, there are different factors that also Amazon takes into account. For example, of the product so, exactly the product. is a product. The product can be super cheap in the morning, but also but uh, take uh, but uh, but more expensive in the evening when everybody's home sitting on the couch and browsing. Hey, you know, maybe I need to buy this new. I don't know whatever. Yeah, or there's some products that. Or sectors that the, the the product might have it changes more often than others. I would say, yeah. mm-hmm. if you're a brand, it's gonna change maybe less than a wholesaler, for example, that is selling many right. different products on their on their inventory. Mm-hmm. But yeah. we uh-huh. always need to remember that that Amazon is changing. I mean, prices on Amazon change every ten minutes, so. Yeah, if you have a huge inventory, mind how many times those prices. I think we have that written on a success story yeah. of the repricer. It's really the numbers can go scale up really quick. Well, I have, I have a couple. I have more questions because we have about ten minutes before the top of the hour, and I want to make sure we we get answered everything. Um, again, if you have a specific question, feel free to send that in on social media. Um, and if we run out of time again, we can. We'll make sure we point you. The listener and the viewer to make sure uh, in the right direction of both Mark and Dino and their their team as well. Uh, a couple more questions. Amazon in favor of looking at pricing. Do they look? Which would be more favorable, having a price that's constantly having a coupon that will drop the price, or having something consistently stay at a price where there is no discount, um, whether it be dropping on the price or there's no added click to drop the price further. Does that make sense? Does it look favorably on just having it consistently? That is the sales price as what it will be. Um, or if you had a more consistent nature of having a product and with the option of adding that coupon on and people would just have to click and opt into that discount, if you will, does it look at either differently or the same or what, what what's the, the differences in price in terms of that strategy look like? I think, um, well, as far as the coupon question or the voucher question is always kind of difficult for us because we can't really, we can't really arrange it with our, with our repricing tool. But as, as far as I know is I think the, con- I okay. yeah, yeah, the consistent price I think would be, would be the more, because I think the vouchers that are more, those are more to trigger the buyers itself themselves and not, and I think the consistent price would rather be the one with which Amazon would go. I, as far as I know, and this is only me, I'm not, I'm not, well, I'm not the, the technical person. I'm not from the customer support team. Maybe have to reach out to one of our 
uh, agents. But uh, as far as I know, the vouchers really don't have um, a big, big of a big of an impact, right? From your experience as well, they don't really have a big of an impact on whether you uh, on your competitive pricing. Because your if price. it were to, I, w- I, w- I would put I put this scenario in play. I see a lot of people who have the pricing higher, and yeah. the op- coupon option will drop you a mm-hmm. cent or two below, or maybe 50 cents or something like that. Not a huge difference, right? Mm -hmm. But if you don't click and opt into that, you're still buying at a a higher higher cost. No one really thinks about that because of tax and everything that you add onto that. There's there's always this buyer mentality in theory of, it's really on the customer at the end of the day, if they want to obtain this discount or not. But if they don't, then it's more money, higher margins. It looks Uh better on me and they're not applying the coupon. It's not automatically applied in Amazon, but uh-huh. when you don't have that capability, that's the that's the price and that's what it is. So if you ultimately get to the same price no matter what, I'm curious to know, and yeah. again, we don't have to answer that today, which yeah. one Amazon looks more favorably on if there's some purchases that are higher and they don't use the coupon to get to that same price, uh-huh. like to 25, $29.99 to 25, or if it's just consistently sold at $25. Is there is there a factor of which the Amazon looks favorably on one versus the other? Yeah. I'll be like the secret recipe of Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Food for thought. Well, I, I'm, it yeah. ultimately gets it to the same price, right? Of yeah, it, it's not yeah. gaming the system. It would be more of does Amazon see a favor of offering a coupon and and it being applied in yeah. that nature, and it's technically a discounted product sale. Or mm-hmm. would you rather be selling it at full full price, and that's that's the cost of it? You would think it'd be the full price nature instead of the coupon being offered. But the price is still often the same, often the same, and conversions can still happen at a higher price point. Not a bad thing for Amazon; they'll still get more money. <laughs> yeah, I'd be curious. Fact, that would be more case studies that I'm putting on your plate, Daniel. It's fun um, yeah. with the podcast. Um, I guess <laughs> in the middle, in the in the minimum amount of time that we have left with you both, um, I'm curious what what it what's the what's the future looking like in the world of repricing? as brains grow, as there's more complexities to uh, multiple marketplaces and natures, what do we need to be on the lookout for? And what would be like your your maybe minute tip that you would have sellers implement today? Mm-hmm. Or just tips in general, like what are your quick hit tips to, to kind of end the year and then going into 2022? Yeah. Well, of course, uh, one of the questions we get a lot is like, okay, sure, if you sell over wholesale, you might you might make a really good use of a right, repricer. Yeah. But what exactly? Yeah, what happens with brands? Or what happens if you sell over private label? Maybe you wanna you wanna expand on that? Yeah. Yes, I would say that. Um, let's say if they're looking for a repricing solution to really take into account. I mean, the features that we could highlight that a repricer mm-hmm. must have in order for the seller to have a successful. Mm-hmm repricing a strategy would be for them to be able really really important to fix a minimum maximum price and what is the velocity of recognition of all those price changes on amazon mm-hmm. um, and on top of that as um, daniel was mentioning uh, wholesale brands private label we have seen an increase of uh, brands registry in on on amazon so obviously if some private label sellers, they have the impression that they don't need a repricing strategy, um, but they actually do because the competition is still there. Even though they have a brand, you know, there might be other brands selling the same product. That's on one hand. And on the other hand, I would recommend those sellers who are brands that when they're looking for a repricer, 
um, to look at the strategies that they have. Sure. Can I customize my, my, my strategy? Does yeah. it have a strategy that is adapted to, for me, not only the buy books, the buy books, the buy books strategy? Mm -hmm. um, so I can maybe uh, vary those changes based on the demand, like we were talking uh, a little bit earlier. Yeah. I would also say, like in a world you know that's rapidly changing today, of course, the business world is changing, the business environment is changing with every day, and of course, the seller has to adapt as well. You need to find a tool that is just as versatile as your own company. You know, and that, that means, as, as Monica just said, watch out for strategies, look for other factors like, hey, if you're doing your own customer support, if you're not selling over Amazon FBA, does the repricing or does the tool or does the solution offer customer support in the language that I need, yes. stuff like that. Always look for always look for the best tool that suits that or that can custom tailor to your specific needs. And, and at the end of the day, that doesn't need to be out. But just take the, every tool. Every tool offers, I don't know, a two weeks free trial or something. Do that first. See if that works out. Try a lot of them. And once you found the one, once you found the sweet spot, go with that. But don't just go for the first best or with the, I don't know, with um, um, yeah, with the biggest company. Because there's so many companies out there with so many different features that you can that now you have the option or the possibility to see which one can uh, offer me the best solution. And that's what I would. That's what we would offer. But that's what we would say. That's what you have to look out if you're looking for a repricer for your company. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think. Yeah. Go ahead. I wanted to mention what what you said. It was it's really good and really important because when I talk to sellers, that's something that they highlight to me. Because mm. um, I mean, the repricing tool, they yeah, they automate part of the work, but there's still a minimum investment from on the seller yeah. side that they have to put in for that strategy to work properly. So if you can be guided and oriented by uh, a customer support team that speaks your language, that's really yeah. that's really something that they also should take into account, not to hire the, 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 the services of a repricer and then found themselves without any guidance to use uh, the tool because it could be something very challenging for them, especially if they're switching from the Amazon repricer, let's say, to a dynamic one. Awesome. Well, those are great tips, I think, from both of you too. So, if people have more questions, more more impact, obviously, if they're they ask the questions and they want to get some specific information, how do they reach out to you guys? How do they get in touch with uh, Seller Logic or both of you? I would say the best way it would be at Monica on LinkedIn. Oh, yeah, <laughs> probably a message on LinkedIn. Otherwise, on our website, we have a contact yeah. section where you can contact directly also with our customers. Exactly. Well. We're also we're also on also big social media platforms, so LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, and Facebook. And awesome. Uh, yeah, that's. Uh, and that's of course, because you're a multi, uh, you're you're all of the world. If you go to sellerlogic.com, it will point you into the right. Yeah, the, the website is also the best way to do that. Learn more information is the breadth of knowledge on the website, and it will point you to the right. Um, translation website if you're a different part of the country or the world um I, I think that's super impactful as well so both of you thank you so much for hopping on crossover commerce today so much information that you guys are pumping out in terms of thought leadership i think it's a great service that as, again as brands and businesses continue to grow in the capacities whether it be more products you're selling online or just more places that they're selling online you need tools to help work for you to help you engage in that optimize your time, money, and effort. And that is one of the ways to do that. So two weeks of free uh, service, I, you can't really complain with that. And uh, I, I'll, you can obviously take advantage of that free two free two weeks of free trial with Solar Logic. And um, yeah, thank you so much, both now friends of Crossover Commerce, I would say. Thanks for coming on and uh, sharing your knowledge today. Yeah, thank you so much for having us, Ryan. It was really no. fun. 
Yeah, I appreciate it. Well, thank you so much again. And we'll have you guys on here probably in the near future. I'm sure something will change. <laughs> thank you so. for the tips on the content. Exactly. <laughs> I was going to say, man, I, I feel like a meeting. Yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> you're welcome. We hit your quota for the day. So you can you can go home. So, well, thank you so much for both hopping on today. We appreciate your time and your thought. Thank you so much, Ryan. Awesome. And again, everyone else who's watching uh, on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, or Twitter, or tuning in for the first time, or if this is your 177th time, uh, again, we appreciate uh, 178th time. I got to get my episodes correct. Uh, thank you for hopping on another great episode in my corner of the internet that I like to call Crossover Commerce. Again, we, we talked about lots of different ways to implement things to your Amazon and e-commerce business. And today was a no exception. Um, I think there's lots of things that to unpack. I took away lots of uh, capabilities of Amazon does have a lot of repricing that's happening on a hourly, hourly basis, uh, minute by minute basis, that it's always tweaking little by little. And to do that across multiple, possibly thousands of different SKUs, that can only be tedious and be a full-time job. But having tools like Seller Logic obviously certainly a very important thing to um to take note of and apply to your business to help you grow it obviously put more margin back to your bottom line or help you grow and your business or or just optimize and win the buy box there's nothing wrong with that so with that being said thank you for joining and tuning into my corner of the internet i like to call crossover commerce this is episode 178 and i'm ryan kramer the host of this show we'll catch you guys next time on another episode take care